Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. We got a jam-packed show for you today, cats and kittens. We're going to talk with Sam Lemhenny, my old buddy who designs the Philadelphia Flower Show, about the big move outdoors. No more flower show in March inside. This year, it's going to be outdoors in early June. This sounds very exciting. We're also going to talk to you about crepe myrtle, a very popular southern plant that flowers very late in the season. Can it be grown in a cooler clime than it likes, say in Muncie, Indiana? I'm not grabbing that out of the air. That's where the question came from. So we got to do all that. We better hop, 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 hop to your fascinating phone calls at 833-727-9588. Ken, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for being had, Ken. Where are you? Williamsburg, Virginia. I know exactly where that is. Historic Williamsburg, Virginia. Um, do, uh, do, you, do you work for, like, the park system there or anything like I that? Work for, I work for nobody. I'm retired from New Jersey and Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And I came here because I wanted to be warmer, and I am. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to go... Uh, to the Carolinas or down to Florida, you have a very moderate climate there in Williamsburg. Yeah, it's it's good. We don't shovel much snow. It gets pretty hot in the summer, but everything's air conditioned, so it's it, it's it's a great place to live. Not it's not a very good place to garden, frankly. It's too hot in the summer, and the soil is all clay, and the deer are multiple. There are multiple deer around. Well, that's why we always say, don't try to garden in your own crappy soil. Build raised beds, fill them with a great growing medium, and you're three-quarters of the way to the finish line. Well, that's what my question's about is, what do I do? I help run a school garden Mm -hmm. uh, for an elementary school here, and we have about 14 raised beds, and we've been getting less. We've been doing this for about 10 years. Right. And and now, uh, in the last two years, it seems to me we've gotten less production. Yeah. We especially noticed that in our sweet potato bed, mm-hmm. and uh, we know it's really not weather-related because we have a sister garden that had a very good crop this year that's about a mile and a half away, so yeah, it's probably no, the not soil, The soil's probably exhausted. Um, are you feeding the beds with anything? We, we top it every year with an inch or two of compost. Okay, that's a good start. Where, where is the compost from? comes from the county, so we don't know what's in it, but... Well, that's not we true. Assume they're not. We're, they're probably not adding anything to it. Well, you know what? It's good to get the paper. If you're, uh, uh, what what level school is this? A grade school, a high school? Grade school. Grade school. Elementary. Okay, uh, but still, it's good to teach the kids to ask for the paper, and um, you could have some really interesting discussions with the results. Anybody who composts in bulk, especially municipalities will have their finished compost tested professionally. 
several times a year. So all you have to do is ask for it. It may even be up on their website. Um, and it'll tell you what the pH of the finished compost is, which is hugely important, um, and what nutrients are there. But that should, and where you are, and you're saying the summers are very hot, I would say that two inches of compost would be a minimum. One inch of compost dressing is really not going to be able to resist that summer sun. Now, are you rotating the crops in the bed, growing sweet potatoes? In, one in, 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 general, in general, we are. It happened that last year, it, by happenstance, it didn't get rotated. Right. But we had noticed a fall off the year before that. Mm-hmm. Well, um, and we it, do have a soil test. Yes, and what did it tell you? Well, that was my real big question. It's a soil test. We're, we're basically an organic garden. Yes. So the soil test, the state recommended we apply one and a half pounds per hundred, well, whatever it is, per hundred square feet of potassium nitrate. Right, of course. You know, otherwise used as a high explosive, kids. Almost all state soil labs will give you organic recommendations um, if you simply ask for them. Off the top of my head, uh, you say... Uh, they said you're low in potassium. So, yeah. so one thing I would add is green sand. Green sand is a wonderful soil amendment. It comes from um, what used to be oceans in central New Jersey. Um, but of course, you know, the, the land and the sea have changed over and over over the, over the millennia. And these oceans are now dry but they have this material called green sand that was the original sand of that ocean, and it's green in color, and it has, you know, on, on the bag, it'll seem to be a low level of potassium, but it's highly available to plants. And Where they, do we get it? Uh, you can get it online. You can get it at any hip garden center. Um, you know, you're not going to find it at a, at a big box store because it's healthy, um, but if you go to independent garden centers, call around. If they don't have it, they can order it for you. I believe uh, Espoma even packages it up and has it at retail, perhaps even in big box stores. But I always feel people should um, frequent their local independent garden center because these are businesses that deserve to be supported. Did they tell you what your pH was of your soil? Yeah, and that's another problem is the they didn't say it's a problem, but it's 7.4. Well, then they really don't know what they're talking about. Yeah, you want to lower that a whole... Can I quote you on that? Yes. Yes, <laughs> that is... I, I agree with you. That's too alkaline. We're looking, you know, to grow a, a regular vegetable garden in general, we're looking for a pH of 6.5. Now, as you know, 7 is neutral. Uh, but once you get above 7, it's like decibels. Every time you add another tenth of a percent, it really becomes much more alkaline. So keeping the pH between 6.5 and 7 is ideal. And for that, I would recommend elemental sulfur. Um, you would add wood ash or lime to a garden to raise the pH, but to lower the pH, you would use a lot of milled peat moss. Now, have the beds become heavy and compact over the years? And yes, and because of you, we've added 
perlite last year. Excellent, excellent. Well, I would consider adding um, milled peat moss as well because that's naturally going to lower the pH as it makes the soil looser and livelier. Do the kids walk on the beds? Uh, not if we can help it, but yes. Good. Oh, okay. But if you put if you put twenty kids around uh, a sweet potato bed and say we're going to dig up these potatoes, don't step in it. Yeah. you know what happens. Yeah, well, that's and uh, you know that kind of takes away the pleasure of harvesting potatoes and sweet potatoes. So I wouldn't I wouldn't call that a crime. But in general, the the beds are small enough that they can reach in without stepping in. Yes. Yes. I would say. Um, you know, these big bricks of milled peat moss from Canada where the peat is harvested sustainably, they're huge and they're really inexpensive. It wouldn't be out of line for you to add one of those big bricks um, to each garden. And even though I practice no-till, it, it might be time to get in there and do some double digging, not so much tilling, but loosen it up, mix the peat moss in, um, but always, always put the compost on top. And again, I urge you to do a little research on green sand um, and think about telling the kids um, this was in an ocean in New Jersey with plesiosaurs and other giant prehistoric seagoing creatures. And, you know, now you're into a world that they love. Yeah, that's a good idea. Okay. And um, okay. And keep an eye on things and email us or call us if you have any other questions. All right. Well, thank you very much. You've been very helpful. Have a good day. You too. My pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Two little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Two little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Two little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug. One little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug. One little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind you that the holidays may be over, but now tis the season for savings on seeds. That's right, the new selections and fresh heirloom seed are being announced just as you and I are asking, why is it getting dark at 3.30? And many of your favorite seed and plant suppliers are offering money-saving early bird deals. But don't you go eating no worms just yet, because we'll be right back with the story behind the all-new Philly Flower Show and more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio and TV at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA.
Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Whether you like it or not, I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, it's about crepe myrtle in cold climates. Um, we're also going to tell the people down south how to prune their crepe myrtle and not commit crepe murder. We'll probably also take a couple, three more of your fabulous phone calls. But now it is time to bring on our very special guest, my old friend Sam Lemhenny, um, who last time I introduced him uh, was the designer of the Philadelphia Flower Show. But I just saw in an email from the show that Sam has a new title. He's like uh, director of spontaneous combustion or something. What is it? Am I close? You're, you're close. It's the chief of shows and events here at the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society. Let me set the stage here. The Philadelphia Flower Show has been for probably a hundred years uh, the world's largest indoor flower show. When it first started out for the you know, first 87 or something, I'm not sure it was that big. But for quite a while, it's been the world's largest indoor flower show. And I will tell you, because you and I were working like mad at this previous flower show in the spring, and yep. we just got out under our chinny chin chin. Oh. I mean, the world started shutting down as, you know, we were breaking down the exhibits. Yeah, Mike, I think we were, we were probably one of the last, last major events that happened in this country before the country started shutting down. I, I think I was telling you that I, we literally watched the last truck leave on that Wednesday after the show closed down. And then by Friday, two days later, the, the whole country had basically gone into to shutdown mode. So, and we've been back and forth here since then. And we were very lucky as best I can tell. Um, we, we were not super spreaders or even like minor spreaders. Everything worked out really well. Luckily, that was that was great. We uh, were able to have the show. Our attendance was great in the beginning of the week. And obviously, as the news continued to to, to increase around the, the virus, uh, our attendance did try, slip a little bit towards the end of the week. Um, but uh, we still were able to pull it off and still have a really great show. Yes. And I want to remind people up front, one of the reasons I promote the Philadelphia Flower Show every year is I've essentially had a relationship with the show since I was eight years old, and my mother would drag me down to the Civic Center every year and walk me around until I couldn't find a feel my legs anymore. And then you would go home and have a year's worth of amazing memories. A premiere event, and one of the things my mother um, loved about the show was she could literally be standing next to Grace Kelly. Everybody from every walk of life was there. You had the main line. You had Frankfurt. You had Kensington. You had South Philly. You had South Jersey. It was one of the most inclusive shows in terms of the attendant. Everybody was equal once you walked in those doors. Well, and I think that's what plants do, Mike, right? Plants bring us all together, and they are the, the great equalizer because everybody can garden. Um, most people have gotten their hands dirty in the garden at some point in their life. If they're not gardening now, they should still go back out and get their hands dirty. 
Um, and it really is that great connector. And that's what this organization has been about since it's almost 200 year history is, is really connecting people with horticulture and really trying to improve their lives and, and their health um, with gardening. And one of the other things that could possibly even more important now is the revenues from the flower show um, are spent throughout the year making Philadelphia more of what William Penn envisioned for the whole state, these sylvan fields, these green spaces. Even in Philadelphia, which at the time we're talking about with him was the most crowded, populous city in the, possibly the world, nation's right. capital, um, cradle of liberty, but it was so important that I, I forget if it was Penn or someone else who laid out the city, we always had these green, quote, squares. We had Franklin Square, we had Washington Square, we had Logan Square, which later became Logan Circle. We have Rittenhouse right. Square, which is like right. going to Egyptian tombs. That thing hasn't <laughs> changed. And it's, it's also glorious. And it's like Central Park in New York, which, you know, they call the lungs of New right. York, this vast green space that was artificially created. Um, but Philadelphia did the same thing, but there were more of them. Yeah, they were placed all over the city. And, and the Horticultural Society has really been a part of that from the beginning. 1827 is when the Horticultural Society first started. Um, the flower show first started in 1829. But it really is about using horticulture to connect people, to really promote horticulture as a as a driver for a lot of different things. And these days, we really focus in on our impacts of really creating healthier living environments. We want to put access to, to fresh food for everyone. Um, we want to use horticulture to grow economic impact and, and that opportunity of using horticulture to, to create jobs, um, which the flower show does during a time when horticulture really isn't going on. We, we bring everybody to the convention center, right? Um, and then the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society, you know, it's all about that social connection with people that we just talked about earlier. And that's something really important that horticulture can do through all, especially in this day and age. Mike, you know that, you know, there's been a lot of challenges that we've had in this country but really horticulture can be that great connector and bringing people together uh, for a common goal and, and helping everybody, you know, garden for the greater good. That's really what this, this organization is about. And the flower show is the biggest fundraiser that we have for that. Um, and it's a great way for you to support that organization and, and not only buying a flower show ticket, but you can become a member too as well um, and support us all year round and, and enjoy the great programming that we do all year round as well. I got my card in my wallet. <laughs> you all know. right. Perfect. Uh, Get you a good discount at, the, at some of the shopping locations at the flower show, too. Yeah, yeah we'll see. <laughs> I don't buy anything, Sam. I just wait till they've got their back turned. Um, <laughs> we'll so, make sure that you have security detail around you just to protect you from that, I think. <laughs> exactly. So um, the flower show supports tree tenders, which is something yep. we don't talk about enough. But just the other day, now we're t I want to say we're taping this in December because everybody here is going to go for their long winter's nap pretty soon. Uh, but I just saw on, you know, when you're a member of PHS, the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society, you get all these emails. And I saw they were planting trees just the other day. Um, yep. And this is actually a pretty good time of year to plant trees. But they were going right. into one of my old neighborhoods, one of the old North Catholic neighborhoods at Levick Street or something. 
and yep. uh, it supports greenery. You know, the view as you drove to and from the airport, you know, the best thing you could see is the giant magnet lifting up rusted cars. And, <laughs> and now you guys have done a good job of planting that. Um, com yeah. Community gardens all over the city. I mean, last time I checked, Philadelphia had more community gardens per square mile than any other city in America. You know, there's over 250 neighborhoods, Mike, that we work with throughout the city and the region to to help um, really, like you said, tree tenders is a great thing. We just did our tree, big bare root tree distribution for a lot of the tree tenders in the area and, and focused in on planting trees. This is a great time to plant trees. It's get them in the ground and their root systems gets to take hold before they really start to, to, to you know, produce their leaves and their flowers in the springtime. So like you said, garden tenders, we have a huge network of of community gardens that we work with as well to encourage people to get outside and and use those spaces to grow food um, and and garden to to and also then connect with the with their neighbors in that in those community gardens too. So it's a really a great uh, great piece and it's just just a few things that the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society does um, to improve everybody's life here in Philadelphia. Well, you have no idea how easy it makes my life. Um, to have community gardens that are spreading throughout the country. I don't, I don't even have to say the world. You know, England and Switzerland have had these things for <laughs> millennia. Um, right. But when somebody's in an apartment and they're desperate, they got no greenery, maybe their grandparents had a farm or a big garden, and what can I do? Can I get a light bulb and a little herb and, right. you know, be pitiful? No. There's a community garden somewhere near where you live or work or hang out or something like that. Join that. Well, how do I learn how to garden? You join a community garden, you're going to learn how to garden. You've got the world's greatest experts tending, yeah, tending the plots around you. Absolutely. Your, your, your friends and your neighbors are already gardening there. Get involved and, and they can teach you and help you every step of the way. And the horticultural, horticulturalists here at the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society are there. They'll help you. They'll you know provide some um, different seedlings and, and things like that that you can use and, and get started. And, and it just on a small scale, even if you wanted to get started. And, you know, we always like to say one one plant. You're, if you have one plant in your house, you're making a difference. And yeah. that once you once you keep something alive and you keep it growing and, and you can see the growth, that's really rewarding. And then that that eventually does get you outside and get your get your hands dirty and you can get gardening a little bit. Absolutely. One of the things I've hated about the pandemic is kids who used to go to a physical school now have their face in screens even more right. hours of the day. And please, I mean, there's never been a bigger need for not only school gardens, but, you know, forget the school year at this point, just gardens where kids can be involved and learn this. Um, they will become the grandparents whose grandchildren will garden because they did. Absolutely. They'll keep it alive. And again, PHS supports all of this. So enough background, enough dialogue. <laughs> we got a big announcement. Some people may know this, some people may be surprised. Right after the last flower show in the spring, you and I and, and you know, you and several thousand people sit down and went, oh, what are we gonna do? Hey, nobody's gonna wanna go into the, you know, into the convention center. You, you know my stupid idea, if you remember, 
was that we would take over Lincoln Financial Field and turn the field itself into a giant flower show once the weather got nice, because you right. got parking, you got concessions, you got the subway right there, <laughs> and you shot me down on that, but you moved across the street. I mean, right. you know, you could walk there. So now yeah. we're going to be in Roosevelt Park. Yep, FDR Park is the new location for the show. And uh, it has a beautiful backdrop, has an amazing landscape, some great architecture there. Um, it is an Olmsted Brothers design park. So you talked about New York and Central Park. Uh, this park was designed by the Olmsted Brothers and uh, a really great treasure and an amazing location. Very well used park and we're, we couldn't be more excited to be uh, that be the no the home for the 2021 flower show in June. So remember, it's new time frame too. Mike, we're moving it to, to the summer and right. early summer to June 5th through the 13th. And we're going to be outdoors. Uh, we feel like this show is going to be beautiful, lends itself to so many different things that we can we can do outside that we, we can't do on an indoor show. Time yes. out, time out, flag down, <laughs> five yards. There was nothing we couldn't do at the indoor show. You watched <laughs> me do a lot of those things. And You're exactly right. That indoor show has been, it, it is amazing to see what, what horticulture, what, what people, when they put their mind to it, can actually do yeah. um, in an indoor show in March when it's gray and gloomy outside. So which is yeah, when, we can never lose that. We can never lose that. You're exactly right. Right. And which is why it was so important to have that. And, and we're excited about hosting everybody outdoors. I think this is going to be a beautiful show, just as beautiful as, as the indoor show. Um, has this great borrowed landscape and, and the great tree canopies of, of, of FDR Park. Um, it, it really will be a special experience. And also we have a lot more space to, to spread out um, and make this the, the, a safe show as well, too. So we're really, really important to know that this show, we're going to be doing everything we can to make everybody safe at this show so they can have a great experience just like they have at every other show. Just being outdoors is going to make yeah. everybody so relaxed. And one thing I've played ball. I've played softball and hardball at, uh, at uh, the Roosevelt Park. And yep. I've had picnics there. We've had, I, I went to a wedding there. Um, but I didn't realize there were several historic buildings on yes. the property as well. Will they be incorporated into the show? So two, two will definitely be incorporated into this. The, the boathouse, which was part of the, the 150th celebration of this country, which was built there. It was, I think, called the Russian Tea Room when they did the event. But now it's the boathouse that overlooks the lakes down there. I know a lot of people in South Philadelphia call FDR Park the lakes. That's what they call uh -huh. it. That's their affectionate name because that's um, where they can go and actually fish and, 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 and be a part of that. Um, but this is uh, an area that will be part of the show and is incorporated in the show site. Um, we'll also have the um, American Swedish Historical Museum as part of this as well, which is a, gr a gorgeous building, a great museum. They have been amazing partners to work with us. Tracy and the team over there are, are opening up their doors during the flower show. So guests will be able to go see the museum um, and we'll have a few exhibits in there as well from a flower show standpoint. But uh, um, so that's uh, about 15-ish acres is what we're taking over for the flower show. Mm -hmm. But the rest of the park will be still open for your baseball games, Mike. You can still play baseball, softball, soccer, tennis. Um, still happen while the flower show is going on. Okay, talk to my orthopedic surgeon about the ability <laughs> of me to play baseball anymore. He says if I throw <laughs> another ball with his reconstructed shoulder, he's retiring, you know. 
Yeah, I'm down that road too with you, Mike. I've both of mine have been reconstructed. I still can throw the throw the ball with my son though. It's still pretty. It's still working for now. Anyway, I'm not sure how much longer though. If I had to throw out the first pitch at a ball game, I might do a Dr. Fauci. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, well, that's a good thing too, Mike. The FDR Park is such a great location, not only for the beautiful aspects that I talked about and the architecture and the landscape, but it is right in the heart of a huge amount of parking that's down in that area of South Philadelphia. The subway is right there. All the things that you named for Lincoln Financial Field are all right there, especially right there for for the FDR Park. And we couldn't be more excited to um, greet people and get them down there. And it's that area is used to having a large, large amount of people and large amount of traffic. So it should be easy to get around and find a parking spot for you. There's a lot of parking places there. So this should be, should be a great location and a really great experience for everybody. Yeah, theoretically, uh, the Phillies might be playing at yes. that time, but we also don't know how many fans would be allowed. And they're certainly not going to be using the football stadium. Not, not at that time of year. No, absolutely. There, there's um, definitely a, a few baseball games that are scheduled during that frame. But what a great, you know, great day, I think, is go to the flower you, show during yeah. the day. Can we do Our a flower show closes at 7 o'clock, and then you can walk right across to the Citizens Bank Park and see a Phillies game at the same day. Should oh, come do, on. We've got a great, to, great all-day experience. we got to do the Philly special doubleheader. Come on. <laughs> absolutely. We could do the Philly flower show and the – and the flower and the, you know, go see the Phillies play um, just like you can any other day, which we're excited about. That should be a lot of fun. And we're working with those teams and, and they've been amazing partners to work with us and welcome us down into that part of the uh, of Philadelphia. So um, we'll have a lot of fun things to talk about as with regards to parking and promotions as it gets closer to the show. And I'm presuming you and I will do something special in the central exhibit during the show. Absolutely. We'll give a tour just like we always do. You and your your, your folks um, who sign up during your uh, fundraisers and your, your membership drives, we will definitely have a, a tour with you and I walking around and entertaining the folks. We The, the, the Mike and Sam show is always pretty entertaining. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Sam. Um, I've kept you far too long, but, you know, this show is not only important to me, it's important to the city it's important to all of horticultural. All right, Sam, get back to work. You got a lot to do, and we'll see you in June. All right, Mike, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Oh, uh, my pleasure. Thank you. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and instruct all of you with holiday amaryllis to keep the blooming plant in a cool, bright spot until the flowers fade, then cut off the very top of the stalk and give the plant's leaves the brightest indoor light you can manage in the hopes that another flower may eventually appear. But don't go positioning your plants just yet, because we'll be right back with crepe myrtle and cool climbs and more of your chilly phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute TV and Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, 
PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we will deliver a treatise on the care of crepe myrtle. Whether you're in a warm, sunny climate that it loves, or whether you're trying to grow it outside of its range. In the meantime, though, a couple more of your rangy phone calls at 833-727-9588. Boris, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you. How are you doing, Mike? I am just ducky. Thanks for asking, Boris. How is Boris doing? I'm doing well in, in rainy Arlington, Virginia today. Oh, um, boy. You know, I kind of forget that Arlington is a city. I uh, so many military in my family. I've been to so many funerals there. I forget that it's not just the, the name of the place. Yep. Um, and for some reason, it should always be raining there, shouldn't it? it, it could, yeah, probably, yeah, yeah. All right. What can we do for a Boris uh, very close to our nation's capital? Um, I was recently lit, was watching a podcast, and they talked about how earthworms are mostly imported and are kind of a, a pest species in certain situations. And I wanted to get your take on that. Okay, so this comes up every couple of years. Uh, and this is nothing new. There was, uh, researchers were putting out this, I'm going to call it a theory. Um, back when I was the editor of Organic Gardening magazine, but as many of you probably know, a great deal of North America was still covered with ice sheets as recently as 10,000 uh, 10, years ago, not, you know, millions or whatever. And that during the time of the Little Ice Age, I think it's referred to, all of the native earthworms died out. And then, what, I mean, 9,000 years and change later, um, immigrants from England come over with potted plants that just happen to have European earthworms in them. And the European earthworms are allegedly bad because they do what all earthworms do. Um, they live right under the leaf litter in any kind of forest floor, and they transform those that leaf litter uh, with their castings into nutritious soil. And, you know, so far, I, I don't buy the fact that all the earthworms were killed off during the Little Ice Age. I mean, we have seen uh, research, we have seen so many creatures be resilient uh, to those kind of extinctions. See, I mean, even when, a, you know, we get hit by a comet or an asteroid and 90% of species are, are wiped out, there still seems to be a lot to come back. So what these researchers are saying is because the forest floor that existed before we illegally immigrated from England and other places in Europe, um, that the plants that developed there needed very little nutrition because the leaf litter just laid there. There were no earthworms to transform it. And now plants that like to be fed are outperforming other plants that liked famine conditions. So, you know, this is not the worst thing we need to be worrying about right now. And I will still always be a fan of earthworms, and I will still use shredded leaves 
on all my garden beds to encourage earthworms uh, to live um, around the roots of my plants. You know, I think it's good for the plants and it allows me to be even lazier because now I don't have to feed them twice. First, I already put compost down so I don't have to, quote, feed them in an American way. And then the earthworms come in and do my work for me while I'm sitting in a garden chair drinking iced tea. And I think that's a good deal. More importantly, this whole issue of invasive species and invasive plants, it's like we were stuck in a refrigerator or a freezer, like the mammoths they keep uncovering, and nature was static. Nature has never been static. Their birds and even butterflies easily migrate between countries, so anything could be brought over with them or taken back the other way. I think that the nature of nature is constant change. It's Darwinian. There's always new species winning out over old species. But what I've seen from some specialist in kind of chaos theory, everything kind of stratifies, everything kind of meets a happy medium. When the new species come in, there's a great upheaval, but they learn to adjust, and the other species around them evolve to adjust to their presence. So, and we're never going to get rid of the earthworms. <laughs> They're there. I think one thing that I have seen that falls into the same genre is a fisherman. Please don't dump your bait, your leftover bait, when you go fishing, because those were, would not be earthworms most of the time. Those would be red wigglers, like compost worms. And now you are kind of introducing a very non-native species to the outdoors. Um, and obviously, don't throw your fishing line over the boat and kill sea turtles and all that. But I think that's, that's the one takeaway, is don't deliberately introduce non-native worms into the environment. Um, but, you know, to put it plainly, the earthworms have been here as long as we have. And to see, just get a glimpse of what the primeval forests were like before we got here, and how the Native Americans were able to get a good living out of the land Something had to be going on underground to facilitate that kind of symbiotic relationship between animals and trees and seed-bearing plants. So, you know, don't use Roundup, but don't worry about the earthworms. Okay. Thank all right, so man. Much, but thank yep. you for bringing it up. I know this goes around the Internet all the time. Um, and I, I, for the life of me, I can't understand what the people want to expect us to do about it. Well, I, I think your suggestion, don't dump them when you're done fishing, take them home and you go fishing again or whatever, is, yeah. is probably the only thing we can do. Right. Put them back where you got them. Yep. And right. if, if you put them back into the refrigerator, make sure you label it real well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, thank you so much and have a happy new year. You too. Have a good season ahead, Boris. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Mike McGrath, host of You Bet Your Garden, seen and heard here at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. And you may think that the cold weather means everything shuts down in the garden, and it does. But it's time for you to wake up, order your seeds for next season, 
plan your garden for this coming spring. It's a very important time, so don't miss the next thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden. As promised, it is time for the question of the week, which we're calling Caring for Crepe in Colder Climes. Christopher in Muncie, Indiana writes, I've enjoyed your show over the air from central Indiana for over a decade. Now, I planted three six-foot-tall crepe myrtles five years ago, and for the first four years, the new growth was only from the roots in spring. Last year, we had a mild winter, and finally, the spring growth originated from the previous year's branches. Progress! Will it harm the branches if I cover them this winter with black plastic to reduce wind damage and hopefully coax more existing branch growth in the spring? I'm worried that the absence of sun during the winter might kill those branches. Or are they completely dormant and the black plastic will do no harm by blocking the sunlight? Well, crepe myrtles are supposed to be woody perennials. Like roses and rhododendrons, their above-ground growth persists over winter. This is the opposite of herbaceous perennials, like spring bulbs and hostas. Their leaves turn brown and their above-ground growth disappears, only to return from the roots, bulbs, rhizomes, or whatever you got down there after winter. But even though their range seems to be extending northward by the year, crepe myrtles are not normally hardy north of USDA Zone 7. And Muncie, it turns out, is either a warm USDA Zone 5 or a chilly Zone 6 which is why your plants died back to the ground four out of the last five winters. So what to do? First, ixnay on the black plastic. Although many people think that black plastic is like gardening duct tape, it's really good for only one thing I can think of, which is to cover garden beds where heat-loving summer crops like tropical melons are growing in colder than ideal climes. Hey, like in Muncie. You are correct that dormant plants can't process sunlight in the winter, but that's not the issue here. Covering any plant in plastic, whether it's clear or black, could easily kill the plant by cooking it on sunny winter days. But you have the right basic idea. It may be too late this year. I'm writing this in mid-December in northeast Pennsylvania, and we have already had nights in the teens. But a windbreak could well make the difference in an in-between winter. But again, no plastic. Take a page from the cold weather fig growers handbook and drive stakes into the ground about a foot away from the plants and then wrap burlap around the stakes, not around the plants themselves. I suspect you want to use black plastic, quote, because you have a lot of it. Those are often the last words a plant hears. Why'd you use that? Um, because I had a lot of it. You bet your garden, rule number three. Just because you have a lot of something doesn't mean you should use it in the garden. In fact, it generally means the opposite. See wood ash, fresh manure, sawdust, etc. Now, why are we wrapping the burlap around stakes instead of the plants themselves? because burlap gets wet. 
Wet burlap alone can weigh enough to severely damage a plant it's on top of. Then, when it freezes hard, severe damage can escalate to death. By allowing a small distance between burlap and plant, you cut the desiccating winds of winter, a seemingly small gesture that can greatly increase plant survival. Some dedicated fig growers in chilly regions, it is no coincidence that one popular fig variety is named Chicago, they will frame out wooden enclosures around their figs and then wrap the lumber in burlap in the fall. Opinions vary on the roof of these structures, but I would leave it uncovered a burlap, although a few extra boards up there would preserve more heat inside. And if all this seems like too much trouble, don't grow semi-tropical or Mediterranean plants anywhere you get lake effect snow. Again, the fig comparison. Virtually all figs will regrow from their roots if winter kills the above ground growth. But that doesn't give the plant enough time to grow figs. Protecting some of the above ground growth, even imperfectly, means the fig will start out with a good amount of biomass and have adequate time to set and ripen fruit. A little trim in the spring will help stimulate that new growth faster. Same with a crepe myrtle. Their flowers appear on new growth only, and those flowers are some of the last to appear on our landscape plants. So a little winter protection might be all you need to see those flowers. A nice mulch of shredded leaves around the base of the plant wouldn't hurt either. Two final notes. One, there are several cultivars of crepe myrtle that have been bred to endure USDA Zone 6 winters, and these should be the first choice of people who want to grow these magnificent late-blooming beauties in chilly regions. Plant them in a protected location at the highest spot in your property and or near a wall or two, and you further improve your odds. And finally, how to prune in a myrtle-friendly climate. Leave the plant alone after the end of the season. When new growth appears the following year, trim off the amount that the plant grew the season before. That keeps the plant at a manageable size and the flowers close to the eyes. Do not cut the poor thing back to the ground. That's not crepe myrtle. That's crepe murder. Well, that sure was some interesting information about growing warm weather plants in a cool clime now, wasn't it? Luckily for you, the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. To read it over in detail, just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to crop my crepe if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 833-727-9588 or send us your email. You're tired, you're poor, you're wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. Please include your location. You'll find all of this contact information at our website, youbetyourgarden.org, where you'll also find the answers to all your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, and our podcast. 
You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show, and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by Rodale Institute Radio in association with Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when he was placed in the scratch and dent box on the island of Misfit Toys. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Joni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Our engineer is cheerful, Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work and stay current with what's happening with the show every day at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Tavia Minnick is our profound producer of Priceless Production. The lovely Jonas Bowen is our audio editor. Judicious Jake Boyer does the video. Our director of directing direction is the famously harassed and harried Javier Diaz. Andy Cummins makes our equipment work overtime and takes our temperature at the door. Zach the Tackwisneski is either in the house or he's not. You'd never notice the difference. You'd never notice the difference. Eric Werner running the camera. Despite his recent appearance before a special prosecutor, CEO Tim Fallon still insists he is not our executive producer. But we're not sure because he either never showed up for the meeting or was so late we had all gone home. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and I'm wondering what are we going to call the Christmas city now that the holidays are over and tossed trees covered with tinsel are rolling like tumbleweeds across the Fahey Bridge, the Blast Furnace Barrow, the Lehigh River's favorite city. Hey, how about historic Bethlehem? What? They used that one already? Well, dig that old slogan out, polish it up, and run it until next October when we'll be the Christmas city again. And thanks to mortgage payments, I will still be seeing you when that big star lights up the mountainside again and again and again and again. And again. <laughs>